Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Rick Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. Isaiah chapter 28. And while you're turning there, just let me remind you that uh, I know it'll take a little while for us to change, but his recovery is now Celebrate Recovery, and they are now adding child care. So Thursday nights, 6.30, child care begins this week, and I encourage you to bring your friends. Pentecost Sunday is how appropriate we'd hand out a Holy Ghost certificate. Is Riley Peterson here today, or a representative from the family? Okay, we'll get it to him a different time. God is still pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. Just like the Bible says. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 9. Who shall he teach knowledge and whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Verse 10. Precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. 11. You're doing a great job, hon. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Do you still believe that when God pours out his, pe- his spirit, people will speak in other tongues as the spirit of God gives them the utterance? And verse 12. To whom he said, this To quote Paul Harvey, would you like to hear the rest of the story? (laughs) This is the rest. And this, that he may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing. I wish I didn't have to read this part. Yet they would not hear. If you want to know the rest of the story, if you're really looking for a refreshing, this is that. That's what I want to preach to you today about. This is that. This is what you've been looking for your whole life. You are in a place today that believes that God still fills people with his spirit and that that is the rest and the refreshing that we are lacking in our spirit and in our society today. This is that. God bless you. You may be seated. Before I preach to you today, I want to share just a little bit of an article that was given to me. Um, I do not spend a lot of time watching the news, reading the newspaper, um, because it bothers me so much. But this morning, the clock was still on after my walk, and uh, I was informed that a federal judge has now decided that what the people of the state want really doesn't matter. And that the government will make the rulings on moral issues. Now, I do not believe in the separation of church and state. I do not believe that's constitutional. But I would like to know why people that believe in separation of church and state believe that they can enter into moral issues concerning the church. 
If that's really the way you feel, now, I'm not a politician, but I, I think that we need to stand up for what we believe and what the Bible teaches. And I believe that we ought to obey God rather than men. Now, I'm a God-fearing person and I'm a patriot, but first of all and foremost, I'm a Christian. And I believe that the things that have been ingrained in us through the word of God and through our patriotism should not die, but that they should live on. And that the only way that they will live on is if people like you and I will stand up for what is right and make a declaration as to what is truth and what is lies. So, I think that we're gonna have to stand up for truth. Now, I read this interesting article and I think you'll you'll enjoy a little bit of it that I share with you today. I, I can't read it all. It's a little bit lengthy. And the article begins this way and says, are rebels covert believers? The evidence is everywhere. Music stars accepting messianic praises, artists depicting Jesus in lewd situation, actors cursing God, and writers producing entire books about God being irrelevant. It seems that when someone wants to be outrageous, increase their ratings, or stage the ultimate rebellion, they often resort to mocking God, berating Jesus, or devaluing Christian morals and values. This can be very offensive to sincere believers. But it is also a tell. These sacrilegious displays could be proving that deep inside, the mockers are very aware of a sovereign God. Think about it. Why rave against something that does not exist? Why spend hours or years creating a piece of art that degrades a being that is not even real? Why don't these rebels create outrageous art exhibits mocking Snow White or Bigfoot? Why don't hurting people shake their fist at the sky and blame the tooth fairy for injustice in the world? And here's the most obvious answer. Rebels survey the universe, find the most powerful entity that they can find, and then they rail against him. Their obsession with sacrilegious scenes and innuendos reveal that deep inside, it bothers them that someone else is in charge of the universe and he is not running it to their liking. In a sense, they are covertly, or at least subconsciously, admitting the power and sovereignty of the entity that they attack. Whenever anyone irreverently compares themselves to God or Jesus, they are essentially admitting that he is the ultimate standard. He is the leader of the pack. He is the one that is in charge. Those who may even now become angry at these words that I am writing must ask themselves, why do comments like these make me so mad? I don't get mad when people express their faith in Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster. Why does this Jesus stir something deep in their spirit? That stirring is evidence that God is more than a concept. He is the creator who made us and gave us life. It's no wonder that the talk of him stirs us so deeply. Mankind is instinctively aware of his maker. 
That is how the Apostle Paul explained it. Quote, the truth about God is known to us instinctively. God has put this knowledge in our hearts. From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky and all that God has made, and they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, and now they are, not, they are without excuse for not knowing God. Romans 1 and 19 through 22. Our God is real, folks. I'm not saying that he needs our defense, but we need to stand up for what's right. Stand up for what's right. Now, what I want to share with you today is a Pentecostal message from another slant. You know, when when you've preached a number of Pentecostal messages and Pentecost Sunday comes, people say, well, I've already heard that. I've heard what he has to say on that subject. So I'm going to try and come from a little bit different angle today. I read to you earlier in this service about Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, but there needed to be an explanation given to the Jews. You see, the day of Pentecost was a religious holiday. It means the Feast of Harvests, kind of like what we would call a Thanksgiving And everybody comes back to Jerusalem for this religious holiday. So God has set the stage for a specific day when all the Jews will come from all the different lands that they are now living in and be brought back to Jerusalem. This is the day that he chose to pour out his spirit for the first time because he had an audience and a representation from all nations. And when they witnessed this, they would go back and spread it to all the nations that they came from. Acts chapter 2 and verse 12 says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying, What does this mean? And others mocking said they are full of new wine. But Matthew 9 and 17 said, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles would break and the wine would run out and the bottles would perish. But they put new wine into new bottles and both are saved. He was not denying that they were drunk on wine. He was fulfilling the scripture that he had talked about earlier in Matthew. This is the new wine. That causes people to be appear drunk. And when this new wine comes in, it's supposed to go into a new bottle. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. We're supposed to be new bottles. And we're supposed to receive new wine. And we are supposed to be new creatures. But verse 14 said, Peter standing up with the 11 lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. These are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day, meaning 9 a.m. He didn't say that they weren't drunk. He just said, they're not drunk as you suppose. Have you ever seen anybody receive the Holy Ghost? Or better yet, can you remember what it was like when you received the Holy Ghost? Can you remember how joyful you were? How happy you were? 
Maybe you came in with a lot of weight on your shoulders, but now something was on si- inside of you that was boiling out. You can look at somebody and see they've received the Holy Ghost. You can listen to somebody and hear that they speak in a language they haven't learned. You can look at their face and know something has happened to them. They might even be wobbly or tipsy. They might cry or they might laugh, but they are emotional and they are drunk. But they're drunk on the spirit. I want you to know, folks, we shouldn't be wine bibbers. We shouldn't come to the house of God and say, give me a sip. We were talking the other day at a graduation party and we talked about how you could drive into the gas station and get, fill your tank for two bucks. Remember those days? Fill the whole gas tank for two bucks. Now if you went into a gas station and put two bucks in, you'd get almost a half a gallon of gas. Don't come to the house of God for a half a gallon. Don't come to the house of God for a sip. Don't come for a little bit. Fill up. Get a full tank. Get everything you can. Don't leave till you're changed. Don't leave till your countenance is changed. Don't leave till there's a smile. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? Don't leave till there's a smile on your face, a joy in your heart, a skip in your step. I ain't leaving this altar. I'm not going to go for another week sipping. And I'm not fasting from God's word. I want all that God has for me, and I want it today. That's the attitude. We need to be drunk on the spirit. Now, the Jews thought that they were the exclusive people of God. God didn't didn't care about anybody but them. Let me show you this in Acts chapter 2. I just saw it this week for the first time for me, and I'm going to share it with you. Peter's continued explanation is in 16. He said, let me explain. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last day, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon, here's the first clue, all flesh. What does that mean? It means the red man, the black man, the yellow man, The Caucasian, all flesh, all nations. Why? Because God is no respecter of persons. He's colorblind. He knows no racial boundaries. He goes after everybody. All flesh, good and bad flesh. One of the worst sinners ever in the scripture was Saul of Tarsus. But he went after Saul. I want you to know you you don't get good to get God. You get God and he makes you good. It's all flesh. Whosoever will may come. Whosoever will may come. So he said, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And watch this. And on my servants. See, the Jews believed that everybody was supposed to serve them. That they were the elite of God. And that other people were created to become servants. But here he says that he's going to pour out his spirit upon his servants. 
his servants and upon his handmaidens will I pour out of my spirit in those days of my spirit. And they will prophesy. Now what is he saying? People beyond the Jews. See, if they didn't get it the first time, if they thought all flesh meant all the Jewish flesh, now he's going to make it even clearer to them. And a lot of times, they don't get it right away. They, they miss it. They hear it, but they don't hear it. You know what I'm saying? They hear the words, but they don't know the meaning. So he tells them two different, from two different directions that I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, not just your Jewish flesh, but all flesh. And not just you as Jews, but upon even my servants, or what you consider to be people that serve you. I'm glad to be a servant of God today, aren't you? I'm glad to be a servant of God today. And one of the things we need to understand is that God will call us servants. Say, well, I want to be called a friend. Well, you're a friend too. But all of you say to me, I've heard many of you come up and say, well, you know what I want to hear, Brother Kylie? What do you want to hear? I want to hear, well done, you good and faithful servant. I am a servant. I am a child of God, but I am a servant of God. Can I get an amen to that? I'm a servant of God. Whatever he tells me to do, I serve him. And I serve others. He that is greatest among you, let him be king of all, ruler of all, boss of all, servant of all. If you think pastoring is a, is, is a high office, then you need to understand that a pastor is first and foremost a servant. He's called a minister. That's not a compliment. And if that's true for that position, is it not also true for all other positions in the body? That we are to be servants. But he pours out his spirit upon all of his servants. See, God, God came initially and did an outside work, but now he came to do an inside work. When the law was given in the Old Testament, all those laws and statutes, and folks there, it's far beyond the top 10. That's only a portion of the law. That's a summary of the law. The details, the intricacy with which God wrote the law is almost overwhelming to any one of us. You start reading Leviticus and you're gonna start going to sleep. And if the bull gets out of the gate and runs over to his neighbor, this is how you're gonna handle the situation. I mean, if that's what you want, none will be saved. By the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But the Jews thought that if they lived by the book and in its detail and in its entirety, that that was the way that they were going to be saved. And it was an exclusive outside work that God was imposing on his people to show them his character and his nature and what he wanted to develop in them. But it was impossible for them. They couldn't live up to it. It was too much. 
It was an outside work that God was bringing to their life. So the Lord came to do an inside work. He said, I'll write my laws in their hearts and in their minds. I will empower them with my spirit to help them to be victorious. It wasn't working from the outside. So now God was gonna do an inside work. Let me read it to you from John chapter 14. Let me show you the connection. John 14 and 15 says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And all the Jews said, amen. But then he goes on to explain how that can happen. And I will pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. For he dwelleth with you and he shall be in you, not on you, in you. Now he's speaking about an inward work that he's going to begin to do. And if you read down to verse number 18, he says, and I will not leave you comfortless, I will come unto you. When? When I pour out my spirit upon all flesh and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I shall be in you. God is wanting to do a work from the inside out. From the inside out. Now, let me share this with you. This, I had one man come up to me and he said, where do you get these sayings from? And I, I told him, I said, well, most of them when I'm walking. I go walking in the morning and I try to listen to God. But this, the thought that I could not escape from this week is this thought that I'm gonna give you right now. And it's gonna help you to understand what's going on in people's lives. You can never satisfy an inward craving with an outside sin. You can never satisfy an inward craving with an outside sin. Let me explain. There is a hole in your soul. Deep down inside of you, there is a desire that can't be satisfied by the world. God left that little spot for himself. And when his spirit meets your soul and floods it, then and only then will you be satisfied. Until then, you will look for things and events and relationships trying to fill the emptiness that God created in you so that he could fill it himself. And that inward craving will never be satisfied with an outside sin. You will always, always want more and you will continue to go deeper and deeper in sin. Watch this. John chapter 
4. Verse 13, Jesus and the woman at the well. Whosoever drinks of this water will thirst again. That's what he said. Now he's talking about natural water, right? He said, if you drink from this well, you're going to get thirsty again. That's not a great revelation, is it? But really it is. And here's how it's a great revelation. If you decide that you're more attracted to someone else than you are to your spouse, and you leave your spouse for another person, you will never be satisfied in that relationship. That's why some people can be married several times. Why? Because they're thirsting again. It's not satisfying. It's not enough for them. He talked to this woman about the number of men that she had been with, didn't he? And he said, and the man you're with now is not your husband. You're not satisfied. Because you're drinking from a well that can't satisfy your soul. And that's the well of sin. And it looks attractive, and at first it tastes good. And you know what? Sin? Sin has pleasure. Let's not lie about it. But the pleasures of sin are for a season, and you'll be back wanting more. And you will never, never be satisfied. And you will pay a high price in your body, your spirit, and ultimately in your soul before God for drinking from a well of sin. And it won't get better. That's why people try things and become addicted to them and then they're hooked and they're so deep in the well of sin that they can't get out and they need help. And that's why you, I know this is a little bit off of my subject, that's why you and I, when we're baptized in Jesus' name and God fills us with the Holy Ghost, that's why he doesn't take us out right then and say, okay, graduation day, you're out. I'm leaving you behind. Because there are people that are still addicted to sin and they need your help to get out. And these addictions that we get addicted to, how about alcoholism? Who can explain somebody in their right mind becoming an alcoholic? Did they start out saying, you know, my goal in life is I want to be an alcoholic. I want to destroy my body. I want to throw away all my money. I don't care about any of my relationships with anybody else. I just want to be an alcoholic. Nobody says that. But they yield to the temptation and they come back and get another drink. And pretty soon they're back there all the time. And they have become addicted to the sin of that well. And now the only hope they have is you and your Savior. Remember the story I told you a few weeks ago? I'll tell it again just because it fits so good here. 
about a man that, that walks along through a graveyard and falls into a deep hole and he can't get out, remember? He can't get out of the hole. And one guy comes by and says, well, he said, he heard the guy screaming and, and he said, what's the problem? Well, I'm in this well and I can't get out. The guy said, well, I'm a doctor. He said, so uh, I, I'm pretty busy, so I'll write you a prescription. And he throws it in the, in the hole in the ground. The guy's still gonna stay, right? Then the minister comes along. He heard the guy screaming. The guy said, I can't get out of the hole. Help me out of the hole. He said, well, I'm a preacher. He said, so I'll write you a prayer and I'll throw that in the hole, but I gotta keep moving. But then somebody else came along and heard him screaming and he jumped right in the hole with him. And he said, what have you done? Now we're both stuck in the hole. And the guy said, no, we're not. I've been here before and I know how to get out. We've been there before and we know how to get out. And we're here to help you. We're here to help you. But you will never satisfy an inward craving with an outward sin. Can I get an amen? Amen. Never, it won't work. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I will give him, verse 14 of John 4, shall never thirst. The water that I give him will be a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. Can I get an amen to that? Say, now, what does that mean? What does that mean, Pastor Kyle? I, I don't get it. Listen, when you have received a genuine experience, when you have received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're not gonna go back to that well ever again. I don't need to go back over there. I've been there before. I know that doesn't satisfy. I'm not thirsty for that anymore. People that have been former alcoholics and God has delivered them, they're not looking to go back. They're satisfied. I found what satisfies me. The Lord has saved me. The Lord has taken care of my thirst. I don't go there anymore. Can I get an amen? Don't go there anymore. In that last day, John 7, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He's fulfilling what he talked about in John 4. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. What are you talking about, Jesus? I'm talking about the Spirit. He spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Are you getting it? Are you understanding what he's saying? If you're thirsty, come unto me and I'll give you of my spirit and it'll be in your belly and it'll flow like rivers of living water and it will satisfy your desert, dry, cracked life. I promise you just need to come to me if you thirst. This is that. 
This is that. Don't be satisfied with this and that. Well, I'm going to try this. I remember a song we sang years ago, and I thought it was pretty good at the time. Now I'm not so sure it was. But it said, if you've tried everything and everything has failed, try Jesus. Why do we have to try everything? Before we try Jesus. Why don't we just, why don't we just admit that we need Jesus and he's the one that can satisfy our soul. Why do we have to try this and some of that? And if that doesn't work, we'll try this. Why don't we just go to the source of life? Why don't we just go to the fountain? Why don't we just go to the source of all of our needs and all of our answers? Because this is that. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled, according to Matthew 5 and 6. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, according to Psalm 34 and 8. Why don't we just go to the source? Let me give you one more thought before I, I wrap this up. Do you remember Lazarus and his resurrection, how the Lord called him out? Let me share something with you. This is the other thing, walking on this road. John eleven forty four. He calls him and it says, and the dead came forth. He was bound hand and foot with grave clothes. His face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus saith unto them, loose him, let him go. Watch this. This is what the Lord showed me on, on that road. Here's Lazarus, and when he comes out, he probably looks like this, like a mummy. He's all taped up. You can't see his face, and he's wearing grave clothes. Now, Jesus had done the hard part, and he asked them to do the next part. He said, go over to Lazarus and loose him. Unwrap him. When, when people come to this house, you can expect some of them to be coming with grave clothes. They don't dress like you dress. They don't look like you look. They don't worship like you worship. Arms all strapped. Remember when you first came to church and people were all lifting their hands and worshiping God? Where were your hands? your pockets, at your side, folded. You were like a mummy. <laughs> it was so hard for you to, to get your hands up. Couldn't, couldn't clap your hands, couldn't lift your hands. You were like a mummy. I saw some of you when you first came here. You are some weird looking dudes. <laughs> Grave clothes, hair all over the place. Some of you looked like you stuck your face in a fishing tackle box and got hooked all over the place. Body piercings, signs all over your body. Grave clothes. 
And he said, how many don't need to do that anymore? Let him go. Let, let me do some things. Can we let God do some things? Can God speak to us and say, now Rick, you know, I'm looking in the mirror one day on a Sunday morning. I've received the Holy Ghost and I'm trying to do everything God asked me to do and he gives me this test. He said, you know them pork chops? Shave them off. I look kind of hairy, you know. It wasn't the pastor. It was God. Quit hiding behind that. Shave that. Listen, if you're pretty like me, And I'll tell you what, we got the most beautiful women in the world. Look like a woman. You don't, you don't have to paint the barn. Look like a woman. Be thankful for what God tells you to do and shows you in his word and instructs you into. We have come out of our deadness. Lazarus was dead. Look at Look at what Paul talked about in Romans. I want to share this with you. Romans chapter 6. Reckon yourselves, this is Romans 6 and 11. Reckon yourselves to be dead. We're talking about Lazarus, right? Dead unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Don't give it a place. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but you are now under grace. So when people come in here, love them for who they are. Worship. Let God do some things and recognize that they're dead in their sin. And that's where they came from. And remember where you came from and how patient God was with you and allow them to find a deadness to the world as they find an aliveness to Christ. Put the emphasis, let's stand. Put the emphasis on this. I know something that's better than cocaine. I know something that's better than alcohol. I know something that'll calm your nerves better than cigarettes, marijuana. I know a relationship that's better than the most beautiful woman you could ever think of. And it's all in him. And Jesus can satisfy the craving of your soul. He can fill what's missing in your life. And if you've been wondering what the Holy Ghost is, this is that which you've been seeking 
your whole life. And it's Pentecost Sunday. What a better day than today to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost or to be refreshed and stop sipping little sip of this of wine. No, I'm going to get drunk on Jesus today. I'm going to leave here full of the Holy Ghost. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They were all satisfied with the Holy Ghost. This is that which you are seeking today. Jesus, I pray today that this would be a Pentecostal altar today where people would come and say, I want more of Jesus, more and more and more. I want more of Jesus than I've ever had before. I won't satisfy, be satisfied with a sip. I'm gonna get a full tank today. I pray, Lord, for those that have come in grave clothes, those that feel that they're unworthy, that they're not welcome, that you don't love them. Lord, Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.